Welcome to Scenario D, the podcast that takes you behind the magic by giving you the facts and a whole lot of feels. I'm Curbs. And I'm Lish. And this week, we're heading to Sherwood Forest with Robin Hood, Little John, and the rest of the Nottingham gang. So grab your bow and arrow. And hide your gold from Prince John. As we learn more about one of the world's favorite outlaws and how it helped shape Disney's Xerox era. Okay, Curbs. Got, uh, Got a lot to say about Robin Hood. I just want to start with, this is, this is classic Lish. Even Mm -hmm. when we were going through the princess movies, you know, there's some in there that weren't my favorite Yeah, and I would be like, not excited for it, but then I would get into learning about it and doing the Uh research. And then I would Mm -hmm. like come around, like I would get really excited (laughs) about the movie and the like appreciation for the behind the scenes made me like the movie more that happened like almost every time I know where you're going with this and I don't want you to finish the thought (laughs) even even Pinocchio a movie that I just like cannot be cannot stand to watch you know I at least appreciated everything that went into it Uh Mm uh-huh Robin Hood oh my gosh I hate it more I hate it more Kurt it's just Everything I learned about the behind the scenes of this movie just bummed me out. And I just, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Okay. Listen, that, that disappoints me. Again, not, not the same disappointment as when I was like, oh, you don't like Disney and that just not Disney, listen, Pinocchio. And that disappoints me. (laughs) Like, you know, Freudian slip there, I guess, with not liking Disney. I don't know. But this, I'm disappointed, like on a personal level, because Mm. I, as you know, I really like Robin Hood. I always have. It was, listen, that green VHS cover always just called Mm -hmm. to me. I always just found it really fun. And I have very fond memories of watching it with Amy and Lisa, with Matt Mm -hmm. and Joel. Like it was just kind of, maybe it's a funk thing. I don't know. Maybe it's like our mom's side of the family liked Robin Hood. And because you're not of the funk clan, no, I'm not. Resonate. Yeah. No, no not. it was you definitely know. not one that like anyone in my family really gravitated towards growing up. Mm-hmm. And I watched it with my sister Jazz today and she she liked it a lot more than I did. And okay. so you're so, the problem. Cool. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, we didn't, there's, I don't think for any of us, it doesn't really have like a nostalgic factor. And like, I'll get into some of the reasons for me that I think even like snobby little mm-hmm. Lish, like, could could tell you know and that's like partially Snobby why yeah wow partially wow. why I don't like you know it. what I'm kind of glad that we weren't friends when you were still snobby little lish I don't know if we would have connected the same I mean I'm still a bit <laughs> snobby I'm just not yes, little anymore yeah well I mean and who likes little kids am I right yeah nobody <laughs> no as when they're snobby absolutely nobody. no you're right you're right Okay, but tell me, tell me what you like about this, apart from just the fact that like it has like that nostalgic factor yeah. for you. Like, what what do you is like good about this movie? 
and like I genuinely think it's hilarious. I laugh just the same way that I thought that Jiminy and still do think that Jiminy mm-hmm. Cricket is genuinely entertaining. I think this whole movie's entertaining. Prince John is one of my favorite villains to watch, not as a whole. If we were to like rank mm. villains, he's pretty low for me. The fact yeah. that he was included in the original villainous game is intriguing to me because he's not popular and he's not I mean I feel like it just it worked really well with like the collecting gold situation yeah yeah it worked well with the collecting gold situation but at the same time it's just intriguing because I think they could have done they could have found another way to use that sort of game mechanic now we're getting like really into the villainous thing I mean now there's like there's like what like 15 different Villains We're gonna have involved, to do a season on so, villainous, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> the merits of having yeah. these villains in the game. But no, I, I think Prince John has always been enjoyable to me. Sheriff of Nottingham, I think it's hilarious. Friar Tuck has a couple of good moments. I actually think ironically, and I say ironically because Phil Harris as the voice of Little John and characters like Baloo, he's mm-hmm. usually like the fun one. And I'm like, yeah. he's kind of a downer in this movie. He's yeah. the one who's like shutting everything down. So ironically, little John, not a fave, but I just think it's so silly. It's one of those like right. silly movies that I just, I always laugh. And but we'll talk more about the music later. I really enjoy the soundtrack actually as well. Like there are certain things that just always got stuck in my head. The, and I still The just opening scene was definitely my favorite part. Oh, it's so good. It's very cute. Yeah. The yeah. words just like ripple quickly together. And it's like, once you memorize them as a kid, I remember being really proud of myself when I got all the words properly in order and could sing it as fast as- Yeah, it's you know. it's been in my head since I watched it earlier today. And I've just been singing like, la 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 because <laughs> I don't know any of the words like all day long. So yeah. You don't even know that it's oodalali as opposed to- I don't know. I don't know. Just- whatever yeah, I think it's the you know full stop it just always made me laugh I just think it's funny mm-hmm. I think okay. it's genuinely funny so it's like a good time movie lady cluck sees the fat one that's a line mm. that's said in this house a lot this house being my parents house okay it's clearly not my bedroom the yeah flowery <laughs> art print on the wall yeah not, not mine yours. <laughs> not yours yeah lady cluck was she was a good time I did enjoy her um the like little archer like Yippee. bunny kid mm-hmm. was cute um about the turtle and- you like the turtle no no <laughs> you don't like um it. Eh. all right well, no he's fine so i like when he's waving the flag and goes yay dad yeah made me laugh too. i also yes. found like the like like climax moment really annoying like when robin hood was going for those like last bags of money that like, oh yeah that like leave the was holding I'm just like I was yelling at the tv it was like oh my god leave it and then when there's like the little they're crossing the the gate and they're the ones like my baby and there's like a baby stuck and I was just like you've got to be kidding me like this just like oh I was so irritated no, listen they had yeah. to get the drama up I remember as yeah. a kid every time I felt the the t- intense nature of the scene where the turret is on fire and Robin's mm-hmm. like climbing up and again I don't want to like jump ahead to the soundtrack here too fast but a lot of that is the score did a really good yeah, job in those scenes sure. of like setting it up so I agree it's annoying like why do you need those two bags but I mean that also then jumps in kind of just a story of Robin Hood. He needs all the bags. 
like the point of get all the bags. He gets all the bags but the right. baby the baby i'm like you see in a an earlier scene the mother sitting calmly ready to go with her bag of money and then all of a sudden she goes whoops i've got 80 kids there's only 79 here yeah <laughs> kind of like how do you just how like, do you forget and all these like other animals escaping from the prison just being like oh we'll leave the baby bunny they're not yeah my seriously like it's just so stupid i do agree. thought I, that she was holding the baby but it turns out it was a bag it's of a bag money. of money yeah <laughs> many times have you oh, been man. watching a child you think you're holding the child it's a bag of money a bag I mean, of money too many just, times curbs honestly too many to count because yeah. you're a baller that's what i'm hearing you're yeah you've got a lot of money yeah apparently <laughs> money and a lot of babies really? i don't know that's yeah. our lives apparently yeah so i mean apparently. yeah you don't like it i really like it there must be that's something. like the theme for this season i think uh, yeah you know what yeah. though it, now that we've got through the first four yeah now Uphill? it's off to the races oh no yeah, yeah true yeah except for yeah. except for one but well you know we'll we'll get there too yeah <laughs> we'll i don't want to tell i don't want to tell anybody what that is because they'll come for me but that so. one's early like that one's coming up pretty soon and then it's over okay and everything else is smooth sailing good 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 so, yeah. so Disney at the time, we're talking like late 60s, early 70s here. Obviously, a very like sad and huge event happened around this time. 1966, Walt Disney passes away. So that's kind of like a huge shift, obviously, in the company, because despite him being involved in, you know, building Disneyland, the TV division, the live action movies, he kind of had a hand in everything, but he was still really the creative leadership and the key decision maker for at least the big decisions that happened at the animation studios. So they're really like feeling that void and a Mm. number of people kind of stepped up to, to lead, but it was, it's a very like weird time because like you're without that one like quintessential person And you're just trying to still maintain a successful company, thinking about, you know, decisions that maybe he would make or what would he be proud of? And there's kind of like all that going on. Yeah. Robin Hood was actually the first movie that Walt had like no hand in because he died um, about halfway through the production of the Jungle Book. And he was involved in a lot of the early development for the Aristocats. So Robin Hood was really the first thing that they just started from scratch without him. Um, it had been a movie that had been talked about and been around for quite some time. So they kind of knew he like approved of the, the like you know, idea. This, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the idea and the general story, but like he didn't have a hand in, in any of the development. So mm-hmm. um so that was really, really weird. And they often kind of use the phrase, like, what would Walt do as they're kind of navigating some of the story elements and, you know, how they want to go about telling this. But it's a really hard thing to do. He wasn't the most predictable guy in a lot of the decisions <laughs> that he made. Like, honestly, like, it's just, you can't, I feel like you're, it's an uphill battle if you're going to just cling to that I feel like it's, oh yeah you kind of have to just like and this is something that they struggled with for decades honestly until they really well, like found their voice in the renaissance you even see it though in earlier films that he was like so passionate about pursuing and continuing yeah. with when it's like Pinocchio 
or mm-hmm. I don't want to say Snow White because Snow White ended up being really commercially successful, but I'm just thinking yeah. like, um, from a business standpoint, it's no wonder that people like Roy Disney were like, dude, like you got, you got to get it together. Like, because yeah. arguably films like Pinocchio were a gamble that did not pay off because it cost way more than it ever made. And while now it's looked yeah. at as this like animation treasure, it was not at the time. So now while it's gone and yeah. I agree with you, I think it's kind of like while they were mourning as a company and as individuals who had close relationships with him mm-hmm. were mourning his, the loss of his life and his leadership at the same time, it probably put them in a really weird emotional place where yeah. they would have seen little like sprinkles of light and end of a tunnel being almost like if we did it this way though, and Walt wouldn't have done it that way. Yeah. It could have been different, right? Because let's not pretend that all of the people that worked with him thought he was the best all the time right like, no for sure for sure but he so. definitely set the tone for what mm-hmm. the studio was and I feel like there was most likely a really big gap in there oh with, yeah. with him being gone and just kind of like I don't know I feel like you would feel at least a little bit lost maybe not oh, yeah you know maybe if you're you know you're an animator and you're working with like some of the nine old men and that's who you normally talk to like that's still fine but at least that like upper level of leadership i feel like those being in those rooms and those meetings and those conversations there would just be like It'd i don't know it's, it would be tough for sure yeah for sure i bet they left a chair like they probably left empty oh. chairs for years which yeah. is really sad but i'm sure they did sad. but now yeah. this this actually just is a somewhat unrelated, but related question. When do you think in terms of Disney leadership without us having dived, dived, dove, dove in, dove, dived, dived, I don't know. Is it dived? Sure. Without yeah. us having looked into every film, like in the Renaissance in particular, mm-hmm. when do you think it was where people stopped asking like, what would Walt do? Like as a serious question, not, not right. as like a kind of second like neverland you know guiding light type idea of kind of like we want to make sure this company and the films it creates are still mm-hmm. you know created with the integrity of what Walt intended or envisioned but like when do you think they actually stopped I don't I don't of- feel like they like Disney didn't refine its identity until the little mermaid I don't yeah. think I think okay. that everything in between like basically like sleeping beauty and the little mermaid it was it's it was lost you know it didn't like have like the same like soul that the things prior and the things after did you know Mm. it's just like there's definitely some good movies in there and things that did commercially well or critically well but it wasn't you know there just wasn't that cohesiveness and that like Mm -hmm. the this these are the stories that we're telling right you know in the same way so that's kind of what I think um yeah but I mean, I would, I would probably agree because everyone was fresh talent with the Little Mermaid yeah. as well. That's part of the reason that the Renaissance became a Disney era mm-hmm. at all. That's worth talking about is because yeah. they kind of just started over. I was just curious from your perspective, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. as you're, you're our resident Disney at the time behind the scenes gal. So just yeah. really just wanted to see, sorry to yeah. slow you down. No, you know? that's all good. That like kind of ties right in. Um, to my next point with, with Ron Miller kind of taking over, he was Disney's son-in-law. So he took over um, the Disney animation studios leadership um, and, you know, did a lot of like the producing and stuff like that there. 
the first thing that was really apparent to him, and I think like Walt dying would have also kind of triggered this, was that all of the talent and the animators there were very old and were oh, going yeah. to be looking to retire <laughs> soon. So it's uh-huh. kind of like if you're looking around and you're like, we we're gonna we want to keep this going, we want to hold this legacy and this company together everyone around here is going to be gone in the next five to 10 years, then we really need to figure out how we're going to find and nurture the new talent to actually Mm. keep this going and try to like find our groove again. So um, the one and only Eric Larson was one, he's one of the nine old men and he's the one that really kind of took the initiative in terms of going out and finding people. He was flying all over the country looking for talent, specifically people that they could put through a training program. So it wasn't just like, you've got to be like ready to roll on a feature right away. They were looking for people that they could train up to be kind of the next like amazing core group of animators and cleanup animators and story artists and and all of those those key roles. So Mm -hmm. uh, a quote from him in terms of like what, what it took for this is finding good animators is as difficult as finding good actors. An animator has to understand how to act, draw, tell a story, and make music. But most of all, animators have to create characters that the audience feels they know or want to know. So that's kind of like him summing up like how important some of these key roles are in terms of just Mm -hmm. the overall success of these films. And if they weren't able to kind of find these people that could spend these last years with the nine old men and learn from them, this yep. could very well be a company that just died with all of these old dudes, basically. So uh, in the interest of that not happening, they put a lot of time and energy and money into, into that. The right. first people that they found um, were people like Glenn Keane, Tim Burton. That's when, you know, the Cal Arts rise started to happen. So they are starting to bring some of those guys in there. Names mm-hmm. we still know to this day because they oh. also had you know, long, amazing careers. And yeah, everyone like from all the research that I could find, it's like everybody really loved learning from Eric Larson. He was an amazing teacher and just like a great guy to work with. And so he seemed like the right guy for, for that job. Well, and I think like his effectiveness as a teacher Mm-hmm. shows when you look yeah. at the work of even just those two examples you gave Glenn Keane and Tim Burton you see sure. that there's a there's a reason that Tim Burton's films that he's like produced with or alongside mm-hmm. or distributed with Disney yeah makes sense under mm-hmm. the Disney umbrella even though they might be a bit more ooky spooky and For they're sure. with different For mediums sure. it's like he understands those things what did you say that Larson was talking about where it's like telling a story making music acting yeah. whatever and like Glenn, I mean, from our Beauty and the Beast episode, shout out to season one, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about how he achieved all those things with the Beast in particular, mm-hmm. where like that was kind of his defining, that and Ariel, those two characters yeah, were sure. kind of his defining moments. And like those things are all evident in what they did. So clearly without our dear, dear, sweet Eric. Dear Eric. Jubal, and not yeah. your dad. Eric, not my dad. I just want to declare, <laughs> Eric yeah. Manarahe, you're listening yeah. in New York. <laughs> Love you too, but we're talking about Eric Larson today. Yeah. Eric with a C. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. that you can see those things he taught. They're very evident. Yeah. And it's animators. just, it's just not as simple as being able to draw. Like, you know, there's yeah. a lot of really great artists out there that don't make good animators because it's just, there's so much more 
to it than that. So they're, they're looking for people that can draw, but it's also, you know, their personality plays a role, their understanding of, you know, behaviors and how they can evaluate people and capture that. Like all of that is just super important to, to finding this like next generation of animators. Absolutely. Another like cool thing um, that I read was there was a very concentrated effort on finding female animators at this point. That was something that was really important to Ron Miller. And I think it's just a part of, you know, the culture in the 1970s as a whole, um, Mm -hmm. because a lot of really great strides uh, were made for women and, you know, they were kind of actually finding a place in certain industries and the workforce. And so there was kind of a lot of movement in general in the seventies, but Disney was a huge part of that as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And just kind of like building on, you know, the progress that they had slowly made over the last few decades. And it was no longer like, you know, weird to see a female animator at Disney. They were actually like looking for that and looking to foster that, um, which, you mm-hmm. know, is, is great. Took them a little too long, but they got there. So that's really great. Yeah. Took them a while, but they made it and we're happy. They yeah. Made it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, where, where the Disney company is at in the late sixties and seventies, as they're kind of coming up to Robin hood budgets, the budget for this movie was so low. It's just like kind of crazy to see, the amount of time, money, and energy that went into something like Sleeping Beauty. And then, you know, not that long after you're kind of scraping together some money for Robin Hood. But see, that's, that's what I'm saying though, about Walt, his leadership. Like, and I I don't, I don't want to like take a dump on Walt Disney uh, for a number of reasons. That's not my thing. (laughs) Uh, But I just, it's things like this though, where this is why he needed Roy so badly and why as a fairly logical person, I sometimes Mm -hmm. like learn things about his leadership style or lack of skills, quite frankly, in this area. And I'm like, how did it make it? Like, honestly though, like how did anyone allow him to be in charge for so long? Because in theory, and I I know, I know, go ahead and say what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. You say it. You go ahead. It's just that, yes, I totally get that Sleeping Beauty went so over the top, way over budget. And it was (laughs) aggressive for sure. There's got to be a happy medium though, between that and Robin Hood, which like the, like the stress that Walt had on making things like creatively perfect is why Disney is the company that it is today. And I think we both know that. And Robin Hood just like was so far in the other direction. And but just my, like the quality. My point though is like if some of these earlier films that Walt worked on, and I could be mm-hmm. completely just like in the wrong lane, going the wrong way, wheels falling off. Okay. So you feel yeah. free to rein me in. But my my comment is coming more from like, I wonder if Robin Hood's budget would have been so bananas gorilla low if some of these previous movies, if, if Disney as a company was not trying right. to just stay afloat now that 
yes, Walt's gone, but all this money he's put into things that could have sunk them. And I understand the cultural product, what came out of these yeah. big investments of his were great. But at the time, as a company, I'm just like, there's no yeah. wonder there's no budget for this movie. Like it, it, yeah. it almost, no. it almost like annoys me that one of the reasons this movie isn't good is because people like the budget's bad. I was like, blame Walt, honestly. Like, I don't yeah. know, I don't know who else you could blame for that than the people it's, that were it's honestly it's it's I work in the industry so it's just like the never-ending struggle with you know anything artistic it's gonna be mm -hmm. but the budget versus the creative it's just like the constant like butting of heads yeah. so I definitely think that you know Roy kind of did what he could with Walt I definitely think there could have been more give and take early on absolutely um, mm. and, but, you know, you got to keep in mind, like they were also kind of inventing a medium at that point. And they're kind of figuring out what animation even is and how we tell mm -hmm. stories like that. So I do yeah. think things like Sleeping Beauty went off the rails. Like we gave Ivan Durrell a little too much, uh, <laughs> power you're also and just, you're just so yeah. obsessed with the trees in that movie. I just, they're so I, beautiful. It, like it's oh just everything gosh. in that movie. It's just like stunning. And you can just tell that they like took the time to like, hand draw and paint everything whereas you I look know. at something like robin hood and you're like i don't want to hear yes this was <laughs> this, this went through the xerox machine and this was like copied and you know all that kind of stuff so it's just like it the budget you can see it you can see it this when is, more money goes this into is where you can something. tell that you're the animation professional and i'm just the pleb who watches it <laughs> because i i'm i've never been bothered i know you're going to talk right. more about what yeah that means uh for this particular film because i can see our notes and i know how <laughs> aggressive you're gonna get uh, yeah. but i i do find it very interesting that we have very similar like passions and yeah. we, we understand the same things, but our brains choose to either prioritize or deprioritize things based on just like who we are. What a beautiful yeah. thing no, that we can love something you know. so passionately and yet so different. So you know? different. Yeah. I wow, mean, I think that's what keeps this podcast spicy. So oh, there you go. Spice. Yeah. Diane Peppa. Ooh. Yeah. So nice. let's talk about Ken Anderson. Please. Quickly. Can we? He's a bit of a Disney legend. If you've never oh. heard of him before, he was um, at the company even before Snow White. So was involved mm -hmm. in like their early days and shorts. He, Walt referred to him as a jack of all trades because he was Absolutely. an animator. He was a designer and art director. So he kind of wore different hats based on the film. He's a renaissance yes. man. He is a renaissance <laughs> man. Yes. Great use of the phrase. I love saying it. I just had to yeah. get it in there. I had to slide it in. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. No, it's okay. He was actually the one that proposed to the studio that they make Robin Hood um, because he had heard it kind of tossed around in different ways um, when mm -hmm. Walt was around. So he kind of brought up the idea um, and they, you know, they thought it was, it was great and gave the thumbs up. So um, he eventually started working on some like initial character sketches and what kind yeah. of things might look like and all of that. Um, he wanted the film to be set in the deep South and due to oh. song of the South, they were, you know, they were trying to like kind of claw their way back from that one at this point. So they made it to be set in England instead, even though there so was why? like, a lack of accents i i noticed because i had oh, like true. done the research and i was like yeah let's be <laughs> 
Okay, but that's like that's like then when you watch like Princess Diaries and the Genovian accent is just kind of whatever hot mess you can pull. Okay, out but of your that's butt. like not a real country though. But that's so. but I mean like England is a real like, country. I know, I know, but I'm just saying <laughs> Disney's not good with accents. That was really my point. I should have just okay. led that clear statement okay. and then used the example after so that you were <laughs> like you're dumb. <laughs> You might have said that anyway. I never, I never think you're dumb curbs. Oh, you might. And that's okay. (laughs) But anyway, I would have liked some British accents. One. Yeah. You know, a couple in this film would have been good. Um, But yeah, so he, he, he lost that, that battle. um, But I mean, I think that makes sense. And he was doing some of the earlier character concept work. And then apparently he when he saw you know throughout production how the characters had like developed and what they looked like in the film he wept because he was so upset no sad crying sad crying um basically with like how like stereotypical the animals became in the certain roles like an example was the sheriff he had originally like drawn out as a goat and then he just like thought it was like you know, too easy that it was like a wolf. And I thought it was a bear, but apparently it's the wolf. No, definitely wolf. Listen, okay. I'm just, I'm thinking now of Zootopia. I wonder if someone at Disney was like, Ken wanted a goat and that's where Bellwether oh. comes from. That I'm putting t- together things that are not connected. I'm no, sure. Wait, isn't just, she a sheep? I don't know. Well, yeah, but like a farm, yeah. like a, an animal you wouldn't expect to be the, the character that so they are. So Byron Howard did, yes, he did say, he actually has talked about being like inspired by Fox and the Hound. I'm sorry, not Fox and the Hound. The movie we're talking about right now, Robin Hood. Robin Hood? <laughs> yeah, and like the, fo- like the foxes and like that kind of thing. So that's very interesting. I actually did not put that together. Thank you so well much done, for your- all week <laughs> yeah we should get on the line with byron and ask him be like because, hey. <laughs> yeah would what love you to know about that byron yeah. yeah but i just thought it was like sad that he was like so bummed about it and it's just like it was yeah. his idea and he did put some of the original stuff together but you know what's she gonna to do suck, Ken. i don't know like <laughs> Yeah, the the director who was Wolfgang Reitherman on this film kind of, you know, obviously he's responsible for making those calls and that's what he thought would would work better. So yeah, that's what they did. All right, Curbs, animation yeah. reuse. Let's mm-hmm. talk about that in this film. First off, okay. I just want to ask, have you ever noticed that this film reuses animation from other 100%. films directly listen yes okay when okay when joel matt and i were kids we thought we were so clever for being like right it's the same <laughs> like the, dan- the the prince john phony king of england scene in particular yeah. the dancing one i'm like it was like oh my goodness that's king louis and baloo but it's okay. lady cluck yeah. and you know yes. little john we did exactly so i did i did okay know. good yeah. yeah no that's yeah. good and i think that's just like like it's painfully obvious honestly like oh, if you're like a disney uh, fan and you're kind of watching all those movies a lot are you're they trying definitely like, you're definitely gonna see that so um wolfgang or bully as he liked to be called um Normal. he is the things that i read said that he was a big fan of reusing animation i don't think that's true i think that he was probably just stuck with a 
really tight budget and was exactly. trying to find creative ways that mm-hmm. we could work with what he had. And you're looking at that animation and you know that it works. Like, you know that it, you know, the character movement, especially like when they're dancing, you know, like yep. that's already figured out. So to just go ahead and like rotoscope something like that, it's just going to save a lot of time and a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have an end product that you know is going to, is going to work well. So yeah, that was one of the cost cutting measures they had to use on this film. And I mean, I think nearly all of the dancing scenes, as long as others were reused from either the Jungle Book, Aristocrats or Snow White. Um, Some of the big ones. Did you say Aristocrats? Aristocats. There we go. Thank you. (laughs) It's my, I'll apologize for that later. Um, (laughs) The one you mentioned, of course, where like Lady Cluck. Classic. As. King Louis and Little John is Baloo. I think in general, the similarities with Little John and Baloo really bothered me because it's like the same voice yeah. as well. It's like you just yeah. made him brown. Like that's just like that's just so lazy. I know. Like it is lazy. Just, I yeah. would agree. Yeah. Yeah. So like Even if that, they've made him a wolf, you know what I mean? Like a fox and a wolf as opposed to a fox and a bear. Yeah. And, like that would have been slightly better. At or at least, least a different, a completely different voice would have been. No. Good or just like anything. No. Like it was just like you gotta way too stick similar. with what you know. Way too you know what? similar. Phil Phil Harris is probably like, hey man, I enjoyed doing that last one. You want to give me twenty dollars to record this in one day? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. 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 Yeah. Why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah, maybe Phil Harris was cheap. We don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Another one was um Maid Marion, who is often taken from the Duchess from the Aristocats. Mm. Um, yep. And she was also like the scene where she's dancing in the forest. That was from So White and the Seven Dwarfs. They actually had to like make her yeah. bigger in that scene, yes. which which is also really noticeable because she's just like, oh yeah, she's like a she's beast. like huge, yeah, she's huge. <laughs> it's because she's That's Snow true. White sized. Yeah, it's just like yeah. That's true. Okay, okay. You say that now, and I'm like, these proportions for like one yeah. split second. Are yeah, like- no, they're no good. <laughs> No good. So they're really like, why just, are the dogs? Why are the dogs so much smaller than the fox? No, no reason except that you they were trying to reuse, reuse today. Wow. Reuse okay. So wow. There's those right. are just a few examples. Honestly, there's so many of the characters that were were taken from something else, and it's just I I get it, and I kind of respect it as like a creative time save, but it also like would have been really irritating to be like an animator on this project, and it's like you're just gonna trace this. Like, there's no like I feel like you're already just like cutting off the creativity in in doing this for for like some really important scenes that like could have been really fun. Well, and I'm just thinking if. Like our boy Eric was busy teaching animators mm-hmm. how to animate, not only like the Disney way, but effectively. Yeah. Because as you said, Disney was establishing this new medium. It's too bad that there wasn't an opportunity for those mm-hmm. animators, those like green animators to come in and actually, like you said, kind of like learn. And if yeah. not even learn, like contribute positively, yeah. apply what they're learning as for it were. For sure. Um, because it's just like, they now trace they, this. And they would have been willing yeah. to burn the midnight oil for that opportunity. Yeah, That's the other thing sure. is that it's for like, sure. I'm sure young animators at Disney in the seventies in particular were basically interns. Like they, they do oh, whatever yeah, you ask. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
like absolutely no questions you start getting coffee and then maybe you can like do some in-betweens and yeah. you know, work your way up from <laughs> do there some line work yeah yeah some cleanup work so yeah. speaking of line work it is horrible <laughs> in this movie like so like I think the worst that I can think of like it's quite bad in 101 Dalmatians as well yes. but I feel like it fits a little bit better with like the tone of that movie for some reason it's more like, frantic like it's just like yeah. it's so like like the like the lines if if you don't know what I'm talking about if you watch Robin Hood and you just like look at the outline of the characters you will see that it's like moving and it's yeah. just not consistent and I mean we we spoke about this in our sword in the stone episode to go mm-hmm. over like you know what what the xerox era is and what that process was like but it feels mm-hmm. like either the cleanup animation was super rushed because of budget constraints or they're still adjusting to the fact that there isn't going to be a person after them going over and inking all of those right. lines right mm-hmm. it's a machine so there's going to be like inconsistencies so if there's like one cleanup artist doing the keys and then a yeah. different cleanup artist doing the in-betweens and they have different like pressures with like, you know, how with the pencil and things like that, mm-hmm. that's going to show up really, really like spastically yeah. through this new Xerox technology that they're using. So, yeah. And you know what? It's funny. I, I feel like when I was a kid, I noticed that things mm-hmm. were like off. Like you watch the Lion King one it's- day. And then you're watching Robin the next day and you're like, there's something that's sloppy about this. But I think the difference too, I grew up with it. If you had grown up with it the same way that I did, I wonder if your disdain for the line work would be the same. I mean, you work in animation. You're looking Mm -hmm. at this and going, this is sloppy and terrible work, right? I looked at it and was like, yeah, I guess it's sloppy and are objectively terrible, but like, it doesn't, I'm not passionate about the work that wasn't done or was done for that. So I wonder if that also would have made a difference if possibly, you know, yeah, you had loved, if you had been more interested in this film as a kid and then grew up with an appreciation and now we're like, okay, you're right. This kind of sucks. Instead of being I, like, I will murder it where it stands. I do want to say that I feel like it was a contributing factor. And that's why I referred to like snobby little Lish, because yeah. like, I feel like looking at this as a kid, even though you don't know anything about the process or anything like that, you can just tell that it's like, there's something messy about it. You know, like, I feel like that is like a big reason why I didn't really like this movie as a kid, the visually. And like when you're a kid, especially when you're a kid, the visuals play such an important Mm -hmm. role because you don't necessarily like catch all the jokes or the dialogue or, you know, follow the story so well, but like, you're just entertained yeah. by like the visuals and they're just not good in this movie yeah so well yeah I mean you were snobby and I was a mess apparently <laughs> it didn't bother me <laughs> did not bother that's me okay. in the slightest that's yeah. okay I mean different like I feel like different animation styles in general like appeal to different different kids and I think the fact that yeah. these were anthropomorphic animals and then like you know just didn't look the best that's why it visually did not appeal to me even as a young child well and just the type of humor it is too maybe wasn't your bag mm-hmm. like maybe it just yeah. didn't 
like it's not what you prefer. My brothers yeah. and I were always pretty silly. I Our just has always been silly. So yeah, you know, I, they're just running around this whole movie. Like honestly, like, and What's that's another that? thing is because they reused all of that. It's just like, oh, there's like the hippos running again. Like that's just they're just cycling the same material. But yeah, no, to me, I'm just like, why is everyone just like constantly running through like walls this whole? this whole movie it's like and the see, only thing that happens I picture those scenes and I laugh because I think right. those parts are like the best like okay. like I said seize the fat one so good so yeah. good iconic okay. another department I mean I think all of the pr- departments in this movie really felt like a pressure in mm. the sense that like Walt's not there and there's no money so you've got to kind of work double time that you used to on this one but another department that really felt it was the painters and this is where I'm like I don't know that this made sense as as some of the decisions that they made considering the like budget constraints that they had because there's right. so many different colors in this movie And it's just like, you've got the animals and they're all wearing clothes. So like the clothing makes it a lot easier for the animators because there's less like of the actual like bare physicalness that you have to deal with. But for the ink and paint artists, especially when there's costume changes, that's a whole bunch of different like colors and stuff that they have to keep track of and, um, you know, make sure that they're getting right. And the like color palette in this movie is actually huge because of all the different characters and the different outfits Mm -hmm. and color that they, that they have. So it's like, they're cutting quarters and some of the animation, but then also by having all of these characters, they're making it more difficult so I feel like they could have made some like better calls there to make an overall better film that you know maybe just didn't have the the character count or the like crazy color scheme or anything like that so I don't know and I all of them say like the the um the artists that worked on this especially in the paint department um that I was looking at that it's just like there was a shift and it was not about accuracy anymore. It was about speed. So that's just like a tone, a new tone is kind of set in the studio. And that really bums me out for it to just be like kind of, you know, factory process at this point to just be like trying to move through this really quickly instead of the, the atmosphere before that was just concentrated on making a beautiful film. So yeah, well, thanks for really bringing down the tone of the whole episode here. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm, but that's no, just... I'm Listen, those I'm are the facts, girls. Yeah, those might be the facts, but I've got the feels. Listen, okay. I'm I'm going to try to now paint for you. Paint, see what I did there? Painting. Ha-ha. Colors. Not sloppy line work. Nothing but the best. Scenario D. Hashtag 2022. <laughs> um, I'm going to try to elucidate on why this movie to me is still a creative success. Okay. I do think we've kind of, it's sloppy. Okay. But Mm -hmm. creative things that are successful don't always have to be neat. There can still be like little nuggets or jewels inside. Mm -hmm. And I think that this film does that through the characters and the music in particular. So that's where I'm going to kind of, I'm going to try to show you kind of what resonated with me so early on as a kid. And then hopefully now you can at least find some goodness in those I will bits, try. Okay? You know me. I'll I love try. that. Yeah. I love that. 
So you already mentioned that the idea for Robin Hood came a long time ago. It was all the way back to the production of Snow White. It's, it's one of those stories that when Walt was like, I would like to start an animation company and I would like to make full length feature films. and I'd like it to be based on fairy tales and other folk tales. Robin Hood, obviously he's been around the block. He's been around forever. Mm-hmm. There's a reason yeah. there's so many remakes of this, including that terrible one with what was his name? Russell Crowe. Like Russell who allowed Crow. him to do that? Who who gave him permission? I, I don't know why that man did anything I don't think, Gladiator. I I don't think I hated that, but it's been a long time. I don't really remember. I think Kate Blanchett is in it too, and she can just do no wrong. So But that's Kate, not Russell. <laughs> anyway, yeah. We digress. Russell Crowe, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Um, so the original idea for Robin Hood floating around for a long time. But what I found extremely interesting, we've been talking so much about how they're animals and, you know, Ken was sad with how the animals came to look. Mm-hmm. But I thought what was interesting about how this anthropomorphic animal thing came about was that Walt had actually been first interested in adapting the tale of Reynard the Fox. Have you heard of this? Mm. Yes. Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah. So he is like our beloved Robin, because I love Robin Hood. Um, mm-hmm. He's an anthropomorphic red fox. And he's like a trickster. And his main villain is a wolf named Isengrim in the original tale. So Isengrim, cool. you know, isn't that grim? Uh, so when it came time to pull the idea for Robin Hood back out, when Ken was doing that, you know, pulling back through the vault, mm-hmm. being like, what ideas do we have? He recalled that Walt had also been talking about this Rainer the Fox. So I do, I did have to laugh when you're like, you know, Ken was sad or the characters were <laughs> like, Ken, you brought both these things to the table. Like, yeah. I don't know if he was sad about Robin Hood, but I'm like, you literally were like, what if we did Robin Hood and Rainer the Fox together? Mm-hmm. I'm sad he's a bread fox. Like, I'm just, I, I, I don't know, those things. I think he wanted it to be a fox. So I think that was like his idea and they didn't change that. But I think it was more some of the like, villains the fact that it ended up being like a wolf a lion and a snake that are just like Mm. stereotypical like villain animals I guess so yes but also like a fox is a stereotypical trickster like I just feel like it's interesting to me because Reynard the fox as like an allegorical folktale is very Mm -hmm. literal as well so if we're using if we're making a new treatment of Robin Hood but making it animals it kind of goes together but the the fox is like a hero though I think that's like an interesting spin because they are still a predatorial animal right so yeah they are you know well well they're oh just watch someone's gonna rake me across the coals for this if I'm wrong aren't they omnivores like yes they're predatory but they're also kind of like I keep to myself I could eat those berries or I could eat but I will say that I have seen a fox with a small dog in its mouth and just, you know, downtown Toronto. So Fox and the Hound, baby. Fox and the Hound. They're definitely, that's what that is. They definitely eat. Can be vicious. Yes, yes, they (laughs) do. Moral of the story. Can confirm. They eat (laughs) animals. Okay, well, regardless, back to Ken. I just just thought it was interesting when you're like, he wept. Yeah. He wept because he wept. the sheriff wasn't a goat. I'm like, Ken, you brought this to the table. I just want to make that abundantly clear yeah. all the listeners at home. So they had this idea for the story. Came from a long way away. Ken said, here we go. Don't screw it up. I don't think yeah. they did screw it up. This is the thing. This animated film is very emblematic. Is that the word? No, it resembles. Resembles. There we go, Curbs. You got it. This really resembles live action movies that were happening in the 70s at the time, which mm-hmm. was like, that kind of weird 
comedy slapstick type of vibe right. going on. So considering that was kind of at its height, this is when people okay. were really getting into that. It's no surprise then that Robin Hood as an animated film was also kind of wacky, slapsticky, silly, mm-hmm. goofy. There's there's no question about why they right. made that decision. So again, coming from the Burkhardt household, what a great decision. Like, love that. <laughs> we eat that okay. up. And then of course, if you're going to do an animated film that you want to have this kind of wacky, goofy bend, you need the right voice actors. And see, this is where the movie got me from the very, very beginning, because we can both agree, Phil Harris, like, fine, great. Phil Harris as a bear in The Jungle Book and then as a bear in Robin Hood. You and I are both bored, but other people loved that. So, okay. you know, fine. Disney looked at Phil and how, what a good job he did with Blue and were like, hey, this is a perfect voice for caricaturing another personality in this new movie we're working on. Right. What, maybe okay. he's cheap. I don't know. But they're like, his voice is big enough to bring a somewhat boring character mm-hmm. to life. He has a presence. Like, think about how many different personas Little John takes on in the film. He's first that fortune teller, then he becomes Reginald, Duke of Chutney, and then he's also little john right so you needed a voice that could do all those phil harris did accomplish that in my humble opinion i i and didn't hate have... him i do think that he did a good job just to be clear i just didn't like that it was basically blue again i was just I know, like but you know what let's just remember that the aristocats came in between so it's not like it was like phil harris bear phil harris but bear. it's like was... the same it's phil the harris same generation bear, phil harris cat phil harris cat <laughs> phil harris too much too much yeah but whatever so as soon as the script was established casting started immediately because they're like this is what's going to make or break the movie so the personality Mm -hmm. of each character is really what became most important right right so they were caring less about accurate depictions of animals the way that they might have cared more in the jungle book and they're like honestly we just need these characters to clearly have a personality because we've decided that this story is being told with animals which again that worked for me I don't know. That might make you uncomfortable because you've got weird things with animals and stuffed animals and whatever. And you told me that this movie made you feel weird. Is that still true? It does. It it, it definitely does. Like it, I don't yeah. have like a good feeling watching it. Like I was kind of on edge to be honest for, for most of my that fox doing it. Doing it yeah, just, yeah. Like I don't, oh I don't gosh. love, like I, for, it doesn't really bother me in like something mm-hmm. like Zootopia, but I think like the combo of just like the color scheme and the anthropomorphic and the, yeah. you know, messiness of it. It's just, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. But you know, it does sit right. All the characters' personalities. I'm telling you, like the, right. even though they copied and pasted some animation, there were other things that they did throughout mm-hmm. these characters and throughout the film that really brought like mannerisms to right. the forefront because each character moves very distinctly. And a lot of that, is seen most clearly in the three villains. Cause like Pinocchio, shout out Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. This movie has like multiple villains that are all different levels of bad, right? They kind of get yeah. worse and worse. So- But they work together in this one. It's not like yes. a chaptered thing. This is just mm-hmm. like, they're all just like bad the whole time. Yes. And by bad, you mean like they're all bad people, not that they're ter- like like bad yes. and garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both. Okay, okay. Both. Oh my gosh. That's, that's really, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Are you kidding? I don't know. I'm, I feel very attacked here with my yeah. <laughs> appreciation for Robin Hood. Anyway, 
Lish, thanks for slowing me down. So there's Sorry. there's three different villains that are all bad the whole time and they all work together towards the same evil. Prince mm-hmm. John obviously has to come first because as I already said, I kind of love him. I love watching him. The guy that played him, his name is Peter, Peter listen, Peter Ustinov. And his performance was very, very important for helping animators capture how shallow the character was and how melodramatic he was. Right. Like, you know, all his yeah. little squeals, the thumb sucking sounds, he's yelling yeah. a lot. Um, and that was key to making his character feel real and accessible. And by real, I mean, larger than life, not like there's actually someone out there who's sucking yeah. their thumb and calling for their mom all the time. As- yeah. Uh, lion king uh, the first lion king i don't know if you caught that as well you should like this movie because it has a lion king in it and uh, two no, actually there's two lion kings that's not enough at all. all right i'll i'll keep working on that one yeah. so then the second <laughs> second villain who i also love sir Hiss, uh very different from ka so you know mm-hmm. While Phil Harris and the bear thing is kind of like, eh, some people felt that way about there being like another snake that's a villain. Yeah. But obviously where Ka was serious and like really evil in the sense that like he's trying to murder people, Hiss is kind of in the middle. He's kind of like, I don't know, neutral evil kind of. But it's again, like- I feel like they could have done more with like just the coloring and design of the snake to make it look like not the same. You know what I to mean? To me, he doesn't look the same though. And honestly, I don't know. I can't, I can't believe I'm about to say this. It's because he's wearing clothes. Like to me, that was enough as a kid. The right. fact that he had on this little cape and the hats and he has that gap in his teeth the same way that the actor who plays him had a gap in his teeth, Terry Thomas, shout out Terry. Like to me, those were enough things personally. And right. he doesn't slither, he inches, which is also for me as a kid, that was also a very easy distinction between like, Ka is an animal animal and Hiss is just an animal. Right. That's fair. That's fair. So that was, and maybe yeah. again, I'm, I was a dumb kid. I don't know. That was enough for me. I was like, these are not similar at all. These are dramatically different characters. And Young Lish is like, these are the same. <laughs> and Curves is like, nah, it's, it's completely different. So then the last one in this villains category, of course, is the Sheriff of Nottingham, which is my favorite character, I think, in this whole movie and his oh, signature walk became his thing oh yes those swinging arms and this little upbeat kind of bounce in his step uh one of the lines that my brothers and i like to just throw out there every once in a while is when he goes they call me a slob but i'm just doing my job like that's we think that's hilarious so it works for us but milk call was in charge of animating the sheriff of nottingham so ken can blame him for him becoming a wolf mm, but his okay. characterization of like that swinging movement required a very detailed model sheet to make sure that the walk was consistent throughout the film. So once they kind of had those key voices established and once they had some of these key character traits established, then it just kind of had to be, you know, casually brought to life. So, which is why, as you mentioned, it was like all the same nine old men with like Milk Call, Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnson, and John Lounsbury, who I don't think we've really mentioned much or at all so far. I don't think so. Yeah. He tragically was the nine old, one of the nine old men, the one that came in last and died first, which is oh, very, very sad. Yeah, but yeah. Um, he had some work on Alice in Wonderland, Lady and the Tramp. He was around for Peter Pan. So he's always like been there, but this mm-hmm. movie was kind of where he had the most impact. So I loved the characters. I thought the characterization was great. I think that's a gem that even with the Xerox stuff still stands out, but it only yeah. really works when you put George Bruins's 
score behind it. Because as you right. mentioned at the top of this episode, you're still singing the melody from Udalali in your head. It's true. Hours later, yeah. it's so catchy. <laughs> it's just so catchy, yeah. right? And it part totally of that is. is, yeah, part of yeah. that is because even though the story was medieval, the tone was a lot more like folksy. And again, TV comedies in the 70s, that was the vibe they were taking. That folksy kind of country Western vibe. And even though this movie had fewer like song songs or what I would call like active songs, the songs are all very disconnected from the characters. Like they're either singing them because they would actually sing them in real life. Like if these animals were real and they were doing this, they would be singing right now right like it's yeah. not it's not the way that bell is like i have an i want song like robin hood's not coming out and singing like i want the money like it's yeah, not it's, no. it's not a thing um but even with fewer songs and fewer ones that are used to like drive the plot forward there's still a lot of lines and melodies that just get stuck in your head so whether it's the sheriff of nottingham's line i said before whether it's the udalali thing or reminiscing this and that and having such a good time George Bruins did a lot of really sneaky stuff with the score and the music that made it really successful, like commercially successful as a soundtrack as well. And it was very experimental. I I did really like the like rooster. I forget the name Mm -hmm. of that character. And just like that kind of like narrative flow. Yeah. 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 Like I, you know, I did think that that was really well done. Very like reminiscent of like a Jiminy Cricket type character, just kind of like you know, showing mm-hmm. us like the story and telling us the yep. story as it's happening from an interesting perspective. So I, d- yes. I did like that for sure. Yeah. And yeah. I like that it had a shout out to the old like fairy tale storybook motif mm-hmm. that we have in some of Walt's like original animated films. And I like too that it's the rooster's really only there like three times in the movie, right. right? Like he's there at the very beginning when everyone goes to jail. And then at the end when he says, well, folks, that's the way it really happened which I've always liked. Um, yeah, he's very he's very effective for characterizing the movie as a whole and introducing kind of the they, I The other like moment I liked with the rooster was um, the rooster, one of the other characters, maybe the turtle or something, they like use the guitar as like the bow and arrow to like yes. shoot yep. hiss down. That was yeah. cute. That was Friar Tuck and uh, yeah. the minstrel. Yes, Friar yeah. Tuck, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, things are clever. This movie's clever. It it's does. It definitely on. has moments. And like Jazz, who I watched the movie with, will tell you that like I chuckled a time or two. Like, you know, a it's time just or two. a time or two. Yeah, it definitely it definitely had like a few a few clever moments for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And I mean, the soundtrack was clever too, because it was highly mm-hmm. experimental. He had a lot of instruments going on. He not only had like big horns and violins, but he also had electric guitar. He had ocarinas. Like it was a really full and unique sound, but there was drama with this soundtrack. Ooh, tell I me. love me some soundtrack drama. Yeah, yeah. So the original release of the soundtrack didn't include the score. No score. None whatsoever. Okay. Uh, there are a couple of theories for this. One would be supported by what you've already shared. This film had like no budget. Like it was, there was no money yeah. left. So some people are saying it was just too expensive to include right. it on every album that they were making or every record, like individual record that they're putting out. It's like the record's right. too long. They'd have to do two sides. They just don't want to do that. Um, and then other theories are that it actually wasn't completed in time for it to be created, oh. like turned into a record. So some of the score pieces he would have still been working on up to the wire of when the film is released, but they would want all that material ahead of time in order for a record company to actually like make gotcha. a soundtrack record to sell. Yeah. 
Both of so, those could easily be possible. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, some people uh, have also you know pointed out that there are pieces of the soundtrack that feel like Xerox things as well because there are a few pieces that sound kind of like Sleeping Beauty's soundtrack or from things mm. that George Burns wrote for Herbie Rides Again. And George Burns has done a lot of Disney soundtracks, so that doesn't surprise me. Like right. you know, when you listen to Alan Menken music, yeah you know, King Allen, there are also similarities between For how sure. those things sound. For sure. So that doesn't really offend me the same way it did to some, but that was part of the drama is that people were like, oh my gosh, the score is lazy. And it's like, well, so are you. I, you know? You're the one sitting here watching it, this. <laughs> I found it very like good in some parts, but too like abrasive in others. Mm. Like when they were like running around like those yeah. are my by far my least favorite parts of the movie because it's like the music was too much and they're just like running and like running into things and it's just like the sound and everything like I just I, I didn't enjoy it that's the difference it. between you and I because those are the parts where those of us who really like the film or really like the soundtrack yeah. in particular are like that's where he shines like that's where the score is doing so interesting heavy lifting because yeah. that's where you hear all those kind of disparate parts coming together yeah, it's all, it was too all together all over the place at once for me. Yeah, it was just too I mean, much. you're also the woman who doesn't like to listen to the Hunchback of Notre Dame soundtrack while you're working because it's too much. So like, I get it. I like listening to it. So yeah, you're you're just... a little more into the intense than I am. I'm aggressive in yeah. my music listening. Yeah. Yes, I am. The fact that I've been listening to Lo-Fi lately, shocking to all. Yeah. Of us. <laughs> yeah. So that was dramatic around the time that the album was supposed to come out, the soundtrack. And so it was a really big deal when it was re-released as part of the Legacy Collection. Disney had this thing in like the mid 2010s, like 2014 mm -hmm. to 2018, where they released a lot of like films that came out before the 80s or before the Renaissance really right. as a Legacy Collection. And they it was the first time since the movie had been released that the music from Robin Hood was actually out available to purchase anywhere, but it also had the full score for the first oh, time. Oh, cool. There you go. So it was really exciting for people who loved the film because mm -hmm. obviously when the film first came out, it did okay. Like people were actually, critics were really excited about the voice cast. They thought that the animation, mm -hmm. surprisingly, based on how much you hate it, they thought it was good for what right. they were getting. Yeah. Um, and they thought it was funny. And someone, one reviewer, Dave Billington of the Montreal Gazette said, as a film, Robin Hood marks a comeback of sorts for the Disney people, which is hilarious based on everything you literally just said. <laughs> My critics thought it was a comeback. Ever since the old maestro died, the old maestro being Disney, the cartoon features have shown distressing signs of a drop in quality, both in artwork and in voice characterization. But the blending of appealing cartoon animals with perfect voices for the part makes Robin Hood an excellent evening out for the whole family. So critics, yeah. critics liked it, right? It yeah. came out, it was commercially successful and it was actually one of the most successful um, like rentals, Disney rentals. When it first came out, it made $9.6 million in rentals alone in North America and it grossed 18 million in the rest of the world. So at the time that was a Disney record. So this movie was setting records. I just want to be couldn't. Clear. You couldn't rent movies. Do you mean like when it came out, the rental like in the yeah 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 in yeah, the nineties? Yeah, yeah. Okay, in the nineties. Yeah. So okay. it it did it set Disney records as a movie when it was commercially available for people to just kind of borrow and explore. So people gotcha. people really liked it. However, 
as more and more information has been released about how the film was made or the corners they cut. Right. Kind of basically yeah. what you said in the front half of this whole episode <laughs> yeah. where you just told people to take a dump on this movie. <laughs> Reception has gone down. So now right. there are more okay. and more Disney purists or you know, people who are passionate about yeah. animation who are critically looking at the film and going, as an animation piece, this is bad. Okay. So that makes sense. So, which makes sense. This is exactly yeah. what you have been saying. And some yeah. of that comes from the animation, but a lot of it comes too from story. We we touched mm-hmm. on the story, but it is not a strong story. Like no, the, no, it's, it's not. quite weak actually because it placed too much emphasis on the cast and character animation for a lot of people. A lot of people, not this person, but for a lot of people, and not enough on art direction and production. Which again, yeah, it's like teamlish sure. versus team curves. <laughs> <laughs> Most people are teamlish. Yeah. I know I'm gonna lose this showdown this week yeah. I just know there's gonna be one question do you like it or not and you're yeah. gonna... <laughs> we'll see we'll see um, but you know many critics felt that the fact that this wasn't a powerful allegory was the biggest issue so do you know what an allegory is like if I say allegory do you know what that means I mean I I do but why don't you just explain it for I'll just for all the people everybody. at home yeah yeah for the people in the very back that are near the door looking for the exit uh, an allegory is a narrative in which characters or events can be interpreted to represent a hidden meaning with moral or political significance so using animals as human surrogates for a story that's about politics which is really what Robin Hood is originally about it could have been a really right. great tool for telling a deeper more complex totally story yeah pieces of power but a lot of critics now, again, now are saying yeah. you went too hard on the humor. You took out any statement you could be making about, you know, power. And it became just a vessel for situation comedy gigs. And yeah, depending on who you are, that's not a problem. You know, right. like Curbs' big takeaway from this movie is similar to Pinocchio, where it's like you could read whatever you want into this yeah. or you could just choose to enjoy what it was. I I just feel like I don't necessarily need it to be an allegory. Yeah, there's a lot of potential there. And it's like you you could have you could have done that. But I feel like the story was not that fleshed out, to be honest. Like, and it's just like even the the amount of like there was just like a couple locations that were kind of just like bouncing mm-hmm. around and there wasn't like a true, like really great buildup. And, you know, I just didn't feel like it was like well told. So like, you know, whether you want to make it an allegory or not, you got to like put the story together, I think a little bit better than that. But you know what, my I opinion. guess yes your opinion of yeah. course because I do not share it so that is a, that's a hundred percent English original now see yeah. and for me I I am just curious I would love to know from all the people who sat down and were like we're green lighting this and we're making it I would love to know what the intention of the film was because to me again I have always interpreted the intention of this movie to just be an enjoyable romp you know like right. not even like Pinocchio was supposed to be beautiful and it was supposed to be you know, an accessible retelling of the story, which it wasn't, it was good at the previous, it was bad at the latter. This one, I've always just assumed that this movie was meant to be silly and dumb. And I think it accomplished that. So so here's the thing though. It's like, if they're at this point, so intent on the, like, what would Walt do? What can we do to make Walt proud? I can't imagine that like, that is what they thought the answer was. So that's why I just have a hard time believing that that was the, 
intention of the studio at the time whether that's what like Wooly kind of came in and wanted to see happen is one thing maybe but like I just cannot imagine the Disney company at that moment being like what we need is just like a really silly cheap movie right now like I I love how you can't even just say a silly movie you had to say a silly cheap movie I want everyone who's (laughs) listening to realize that is what she just said she can't even just let this slide as a silly movie it's silly and it's cheap listen it's both hashtag little snobby lish yeah sl it's a new thing here on the show yeah but you know what that but that's why i want to know the individuals because i agree yeah. the company the company's not looking at this being like we can just throw money away on this like yeah sure some like stupid little thing but i am that's why i am intrigued because i think after all this discussion it is clear mm-hmm. that this movie is more of a cult classic. You either love it or yeah. you hate it. There is no yeah, real totally. in between. There's not even really ambivalence or apathy because no, you either you... have just never seen it and don't know it exists. Like just yeah. you're not even aware or you've seen it and love it or you go, this is a waste. Like this is not yeah. Disney the way that I expect it to be because when you watch some of those super, like super old, listen, I mean, like I guess they are going on super old. They're almost hundred years old. Yeah, when you watch are. some of those older ones, and then compare it to this, which is only 20 years later. It's kind of like, what are we doing here? But I would like, I would like to close because we will never agree on this no, film. No, definitely I, not. We will never, we will <laughs> never agree. I know that I'm gonna, like I said, I'm gonna get roasted in the showdown. I just expect you might that. be surprised. I mean, there might be some fans out there, like you know, like you said, there's definitely <sighs> some people that like love this movie. So I think that they will speak up and support you. I don't know. I've yeah. expected people to speak up and to support me in the past and it does not. <laughs> so I we'll find out. But I we'll would see. like to leave us with this again. Just one more. I want to leave it on a, a positive note for this okay. film because I feel you. you really dragged it for a, for a while there. So I would like to just give it one little boost. This was the first Disney film released on VHS and it was released on December 3rd, 1984. It was the first installment of the Walt Disney classic home video label. Disney had, so I should be clear, classic mm-hmm. Disney film released on VHS. Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. I thought that out. was Pinocchio, like, but maybe no, I'm wrong. It's telling me, yeah. we'll have to fact check this. Okay. I'll have to fact check. Yeah. I'm probably going to end up apologizing. Don't take this from me. Let me <laughs> Sorry, have curves. this. I'm oh shutting up. I, we'll just. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my mom's going to ask me why I was bullied today. And I'll say, I don't know. I don't know what I did to deserve this. <laughs> Listen, Walt Disney Classic Home Video Label was a new thing. And on mm-hmm. December 3rd, they decided, and you're going to love the reason they decided why Robin Hood was first. They said, you know what? We don't really want to release previously like successful animated films because you know they're considered untouchables and right. they won't make us money. But since Robin Hood wasn't that good, it was a good risk. Like, why not do it? So really, you're still, this is still a point. It's to your- like, this one looks like crap. Let's just throw it out kind into of. the world and see but, how it does it but great. that made it it made it yeah. number one for yeah. at least one thing and that yeah. thrills me beyond anything else we could have i'm happy for you robin hood's still coming out number one well curbs i really ate it a little bit there. So my apology is to you and I'm sorry you were 100% correct. Robin Hood was the first Disney feature released on VHS. Pinocchio was number two. So 
you know, I was I was a little bit off. <laughs> I apologize. Oh, I accept that apology wholeheartedly because we've got it recorded. It's here for posterity. <laughs> everyone knows I was right. I was very stressed that I was wrong. I think everyone could tell that there was a yeah. lot of walking left to right, front and back, <laughs> that I was trying to like not put myself in a hole because I knew these apologies were coming. So I wholeheartedly accept your apology. It is an easy mistake to make when they're releasing classics out of order and it's the first one. So, I mean, yeah. how could you be expected to know? My bad, 100%. Yeah, and I would like to apologize for really struggling for the past tense of dive and really spending way too much time on it. It's not that important. It didn't add that much to what we were talking about, but I really just hyper-focused on something that ultimately doesn't matter. So I apologize for slowing down the wagon that is this episode. I'm like that little bunny rabbit going, mama, mama, wait for me, when everyone's already decided the bunny is lost, you know? Just just, just let it go, let the bunny go, yeah. Just let the bunny go, yeah. absolutely. And as always, we could not make this wonderful podcast without the help of some very incredible resources. And you all know what I'm going to say. It is indeed <laughs> The Art of Walt Disney by Christopher Finch. Chris, coming through clutch again. Thank you so much. I've become predictable myself, but it's an amazing book. The Ink and Paint Women of Walt Disney's Animation by Mindy Johnson. I keep telling you that I need to borrow it from you because I have not read it, but uh, you also tell it's me it's so a really good. big book. <laughs> it's, it's huge. <laughs> It's a it's years huge. long read. So it eventually, is, yeah. eventually I will read it. Eventually we'll get there. Yeah, for sure. I also had a lot of help with some articles about the soundtrack because as you know, George Bruins, big guy, we care a lot about mm -hmm. him. So I did a lot of digging into that. So one of those articles was by a guy named Greg Airbar for Cartoon Records and was called Disney's Robin Hood on Records. Self-explanatory to the point title. Nice. I like it. I like it. And another classic is The Illusion of Life by Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson. And finally, Soundtrack Review, The Legacy Collection, Robin Hood by Alex Reef for The Laughing Place was another great article that I used to prepare for this week's episode. Nice. And if you're looking for more shenanigans like these, make sure to subscribe to the Scenario D podcast wherever you love to listen. And better yet, why not rate us? Those stars go a long way. We're also super excited to be part of the Magic of the Mouse radio family. So please tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 9 a.m. EST to catch all your favorite Scenario D episodes. And as always, don't forget to catch us on Instagram at Scenario D Podcast. You are going to love the magic we're making there. Mm -hmm.